1: Hey there, it is your mate Bags here. Sonia and I absolutely love putting this podcast together for you. Now, if you are loving what we are doing, we would love a bit of your help, and it's absolutely free. If you listen to us on Apple, make sure you hit the subscribe button or the little plus button at the top of the app, or if you listen to us on Spotify, hit the follow button. Now, this lets the apps know that you are loving what we are doing, which is so helpful for us. And also, if you can share this podcast with your friends, it helps us get the word out there. We're now heard in 740 cities around the world, which is absolutely wild. And don't forget, while you're there, make sure you follow our closed Facebook group as well. We feel like we are building a community and we want more people to come and join us. So thanks for listening.
0: One, two...
1: Alright, welcome back to Tied Up. Now, we are normally a podcast that discuss and dissect the biggest pop culture stories that have made an impact, but today, Son, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Yes, because, we are. Yeah, there's a podcast that's been number one on the Apple charts and also on the Spotify true crime charts for the last few weeks. Yeah, uh, It's called One Minute Remaining, and it's hosted by one of our mates, uh, Jack Lawrence, who he used to work with.
2: Yeah, he's a bloody legend, and he's here right now. Hey, Jack.
3: Hi, guys. I've been here for quite some time. We just had some technical difficulties. <laughs> Uh, those have, those are sorted now. Uh, guys, my time is valuable, so... Uh, <laughs> it,
2: it is valuable.
3: No, it's good to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate we it. We have to say, well done.
1: Number one, where did you come up with the idea for one minute remaining? For those who don't know, it's actually where you speak to
3: uh, inmates in the US prison system. Yeah, so I interview men and women who are incarcerated for uh, very lengthy sentences for a range of different crimes, from like... Burglaries, simple ones, all the way up to murder. Um, I've spoken to the youngest woman to be placed on death row in Florida. The, the funny thing is, this podcast was never supposed to be like this. wasn't the idea. I didn't have this. wasn't my idea for the original podcast that I was coming up with. It just kind of evolved into what it is now. Um, <clears throat> so, as you guys know, like I worked in the radio for fourteen years. One of the shows I worked on was with Dave Hughes and Kate Langbrook in Melbourne and Mm -hmm. uh, I was their anchor and as part of the show I would also sort of research stories. So every day, as you guys know, you're looking at the news, trying to find content for for the day's um, show and I came up and saw a a story about a a big lottery win in Australia and sort of within that was a a whole list of other stories Uh, and one of those stories was about Doris Moore um, she was tried, convicted of the murder of a bloke by the name of Abraham Lee, uh, Lee Shakespeare who won $17 million in the US. And the more I read about the story, the more fascinating it was. I'm like, oh, there's something in this. Um, and my, my original idea was to do a, a podcast on the lottery of all things because there was this thing called the lottery curse where people who'd won all this money just seemed to have bad things happen to them. And that's how I came across his story. Um, so I wrote her a letter pen to paper, posted it off and didn't think much more of it. And then I got a letter back from her. uh, And that's kind of how it all started. Uh, Four and a half, five years later. How
2: long does it take to get a letter from an inmate? I
3: can't even remember now. I don't think it was, to be honest, I don't think it was that long, although I, I never, I remember it. I never forget it. Arriving back at the radio station, I am like, "Holy shit!"
2: She replied, just, "Like this, that's like,
3: wild, yeah, him. yeah." Um, and so, so I've known Teresa now for five years. We've been speaking, sort of, you know, for that whole time. And and so, while I was interviewing her about her story, still thinking I was doing this lottery podcast, it was a very complex story. Mm. And I'm like, oh, how am I going to turn this into a podcast so everyone understands it? And then she said to me, oh, do you want to speak to my law clerk? Yeah, sure. Because I was thinking, okay, legal person, they'll be able to, you know.
2: Break it down for you. Really yeah. break
3: it down for mm-hmm. me. So I was like, give me their number. I'll give them a call. And she's like, oh, no, I can arrange it from here. I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, she's in prison with me. What? And I'm like, <laughs> well, yes. Okay, now I have to talk to this person. So then that was Kimberly Boone who's then the second Mm. story we cover and she briefly told me her story and I like nearly fell off my chair. I'm like... I'm sorry. Yeah, what?
2: I've listened to your podcast, Jack. I'm yeah. obsessed with it, and anyone who's obsessed with true crime is mm. going to love this. So, guys, check it out. One minute remaining. Kimberly Boone's story uh, is so wild. It's the no. fact that she was convicted twice of attempted well, murder. Well, no, she,
3: wasn't. she was no, she was she was she was charged twice. Sorry,
2: charged twice and convicted, and convicted and once. on once. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. And the one she was convicted of. Everyone needs to listen to this episode is a house fire that was deemed like an accident originally and then the fire guy was like, nah, only lying, it's not.
3: (laughs) Only (laughs) (laughs) lying.
0: Jokes.
3: (laughs) And And he changed his mind. The fire was was ruled an accident. It was paid off. The insurance company paid out on it and everything. And then four months later she's arrested for the attempted murder of her husband after she shot him thinking he was an intruder. And then while doing that investigation, the detectives looked back, found this fire, called up the fire guy who was like, oh, it's an accident. And they went, are you sure it's an accident? He went, let me check my paperwork. No, it's not an accident. I think this is suspicious. She She was sent to court over the shooting. She got off that. She was found not guilty of that. And then they charged her for the fire. And then she ended up being convicted of the fire. She's, she's essentially got a life sentence now. Um, so she told me that story and I'm like, holy hell. So I'm like, okay, well, now I've got to get your story. But I'm like, okay, well, this has got nothing to do with the lottery now. So then I went back to Dorese and then said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. The, your story, Kim's story, incredible. Do you have anyone else that might want to speak to me? And then, bang, there we go. One Minute Remaining was born.
1: You know, the true crime category in, in podcast is massive. You it know? is. Um, but I think... I have not heard another true crime podcast like this where uh, there's a host actually talking to people inside jail currently. Totally. There's nothing else like this in the world. The quality,
2: the way you put it together, I've got to say, is so good. Mm. Like, There's not a moment where you don't follow the story. It's so concise and it would be so difficult for you as the host to snip all these bits and pieces together. Mm. How long does it take you to put an episode together? Kimberly
3: Boone's one actually wasn't too bad because we really stayed on track and we were concise. And, you know, she's very, um, you know, she's to the point. Yeah, You know, she's Mm -hmm. a law law clerk in, in prison. So she's got, you know, she's very concise about where she's going. Other men and women who I speak with, you know, because this is all that they, they stew on day after day yeah. and you know that's all that it consumes their life they can sometimes go off on tangents yeah. and then all of a sudden they're mentioning names that I'm like hold on who's that and then we have to go back and I'm like hold on let's go back what was that and so yeah so it can get to a point where at the end of because I speak to them over it's not it's not like we have one call we talk about their entire story and it's done yeah they get half an hour on the phone with me and then they have to hang up
2: so how long Jack do you have to wait before they call you back
3: half an hour until they can call me back and apparently that's just so that people don't Hog the
2: phones.
3: Yeah, right. So, yeah, so basically, so these calls, so we can, we do them over weeks because as well, these guys will work within the prison. So, you know, they'll say to me, oh, hey, I can't call you tomorrow. I've got work. So, you know, and I'm like, okay. Um, so they can only call me when they're not working and, uh, and in certain times. And then we have count time as well where they can't be on the phone because the prison counts, obviously, the people in there to make sure no one's missing. <laughs> um so there's all these parameters so it could take weeks to finally get a story together and then yes then i have to go back and go through all the files and be like okay how are we building this narrative
1: do you feel like you build you know friendships or relationships with these criminals or inmates
3: like, yeah, i definitely i definitely have a rapport with everyone i speak to i feel um because i've spoken for, for so long like obviously i have more rapport i think with some than others there's some uh, people like Amelia Carr is a lady she was the youngest woman to be put on death row in Florida she's she's probably the one I have a l- the least not the not least rapport but she she still she doesn't trust the media at all um she's very wary of because a lot of documentaries have been made about her story and it's all very one-sided and you know she's done interviews in the past where they just like berate her about you know you killed this woman you know you're a bad person so she's very wary of the media so she's still very wary of me I think um, but every other than that, I mean, Teresa and I, we, you know, we chat on a regular basis like Teresa, I, I messaged her this morning and she messaged me last night and you know, they do videograms and, and stuff like that. So yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I feel like I build a, a, a pretty good rapport with a lot of the, the men and women I speak to. So
2: they've got access to a phone to text you?
3: No, no. Well, one of them does. Um, Wow, he's not supposed to, but he does. He has a he has an iPhone. Uh, and actually, no, he has an Android. He used to have an iPhone. He didn't like the iPhone, so he got an Android. Um, <laughs> okay, So how does that happen? How does some how does someone in jail have a, a, a phone? Uh, he got it. He got it snuck in by a, an officer, a prison guard. Um, so yeah. So I was sitting at home one evening, just watching TV, and my phone dinged on, on Facebook Messenger. Came up saying Rio, and it was just a hijack. Like, so I thought it was just like a scam or something like that. It's, you know, one of those weirdos that message you trying to get money out of you and i just sent a thumbs Mm. thumbs up emoji back um and then he replied hey uh, my name is rio i'm incarcerated in such and such i don't say say where i'm not supposed to say where he is but i'm incarcerated in this place you know i've heard about what you do uh, from someone else here you know let's chat so then he then proceeded to to call me on my phone from his mobile phone at his bunk and uh yeah proceeded to talk me through how they get um contraband into the prison um him and his sort of closest cell sort of mates they they're not in cells they're in an open dorm in where he is there's like 70 people in like a warehouse type situation on bunks Uh, And he said, "There's about ten blokes around him. They share a Wi-Fi dongle so they can get on the internet." Um, (laughs) (laughs) They they have. It must be
1: a pretty scary phone call for you to receive when you're sitting there watching TV, and then all of a sudden,
3: especially at one point where he goes quiet. He goes quiet on me and says, "Hold on, hold on. There's a prison. There's a guard coming." (laughs) What the
2: hell? That's insane. And I'm sitting
3: there, like my heart's going, on, oh my god, am I going to get in trouble for this? And then it comes back. He's like, okay, okay, he's gone. Have a listen. Um, I don't know how much you're willing to share of your story or anything like that, but um, if you if you were happy for me to to find out about your story, I'd be happy to share it. But that's uh, that's totally up to you. I don't know. What, have you got any questions for me? Hold on, there's an officer right in here. Oh, okay. okay um, all right leaving. Okay. i am fascinated that you you you've got you're on facebook uh, do are you able to tell me how you're doing that or would you rather not um, okay i can do that if i'm not giving if i don't give my full name of course I'm- so that wow. whole moment like i was freaking yeah, out insane. i'm like what the yeah. hell wow Um, They have tablets um, that are obviously, um, they can only access certain things on these tablets, which is their messages and stuff like that. Although the blokes prison, they've hacked the tablets so that they can access Gmail and stuff. I've
1: noticed in your closed Facebook group where you've got uh, people that are listening to the podcast commenting, they ask the question, would you do this with people in the Australian prison system? Mm, Would love to, but I can't. And why is that? So
3: legally not allowed to. So uh, America, for all its like, I know you know a lot of people have a go at America because of, they're always banging about their amendment and their rights, and especially when it comes to the discussion around guns. But part of that amendment is the the freedom of speech. Now, obviously, a lot of countries claim freedom of speech. Oh, we have freedom of speech in this country. When it comes to America, they have freedom of speech, so the inmates uh, are not they're not stopped from talking to to anyone they want to talk right. to, basically. But here in Australia. When someone is arrested and they go to prison, they have to hand over a list of phone numbers that they want to call while they're in prison Uh, and then they get looked at and they get approved and then they can call those numbers and those numbers alone. Now, if I want to interview an inmate in prison, I have to go through the highest levels of the prison authorities and, and get approval and it states that approval will only be given where um, the prison is shown in a good light, and you know the good things they're doing. And you can imagine there's not many prisoners out there probably that want to you know sing the praises of the prison system. It's mm. so true. It's certainly a no no if it's to pertain to their innocence. So if there's anyone in there that says I'm innocent of the crime I've been convicted of, that's just a flat no. You're not you're not talking to this person at all. So I mean, there's, there's certain wow. prisons like Queensland. I think Queensland and New South Wales have got in trouble because they won't even give the UN full access to their prisons for the the UN to go and check. The, you know the the, the prison system. So That's yeah, so nice. we Australia's just a no-no. Ooh. I mean, in fact, a, a journalist got in trouble and charged by police for interviewing an inmate. Um and they're not getting the proper approval for it.
1: One Minute Remaining, hosted by Jack Lawrence. Uh, if you get the chance, go and check it out. Like we said, a bit of a different episode today. And what we're going to do right now for you is actually give you a bit of an example as to what Jack does on his podcast weekly. So, Jack, we're going to roll into one of your episodes from your feed right now. Which one is this one?
3: Yeah, so we're going to kickstart with the the OG, episode one, Doris Moore, uh, the lady who started the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. It's a crazy story. It's an insane ride. Uh, so, yeah, just it's going to blow your mind.
2: I was... Hooked after listening to the first episode, and I think you guys will be too. And the great thing about it is, there are so many EPs in Jack's feed, yeah. so you can go and binge them right now.
1: You actually do. That's what you find. You find you, you know, you get through one, and then you just want to sit there for like three hours totally. binging through the content. Enjoy. This is one minute
3: remaining. Hello. 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 Is that Dee Hi. Did...
4: Yeah, no, hold on. I'm trying to get her on the phone oh, with you. Oh, thank you. is you
3: the only one there hello hi my name's jack lawrence a radio host of 14 years and a lover of crime podcasts in fact i love them so much that i've quit my job to make one however i'll admit this is a lot harder than i was expecting you see, what I've learned over the past few years of putting this together is when you're dealing with the U.S. prison system, things don't always go to plan. In fact, from day one, things got off to a shaky start when I was trying to interview my very first guest, and it seemed on that particular day the prison had decided to implement a new phone system, and the lady on the switchboard wasn't quite sure how to work it.
4: No, I had her on the other line. It's just that I'm trying to figure out these phones to have her on the same light with you, but for some reason I can't. Oh, okay. I mean, I know it's a long weekend for us here. I don't know if we can try this on Tuesday that I can get time to look this phone up and figure it out because some how I cannot, I cannot have her on the same line. She's calling me, so when she called me, I'm putting her on hold and I'm doing your number to see if I can get both of you on the same line.
3: But it's not working.
4: But this is a new phone for me right here. Oh, so I got we got had got to get system. the little book and figure it out, how to exactly.
3: You have
0: one minute remaining.
3: So what is this podcast all about? Because I know what a lot of people will be thinking. Oh, another crime podcast. Well, yes and no. In this series, I'll be interviewing many inmates who are all serving lengthy sentences for some pretty serious crimes, from arson to attempted murder and even murder itself and everything in between. Now, I'm not here to try and convince you of their innocence or, in fact, their guilt. I'm simply here to let them tell their stories. So what's different about this then? Well, with most crime podcasts, you sit there, I talk at you, tell you a story, interview people, and we move on with our lives. However... I want you to get involved. Now, I know from my own experience of listening to crime podcasts, I really get so captivated by them. I'm enthralled by them. I'm listening to every little detail. I'm picking out clues. And, and then I'm thinking, hold on a second, you missed this comment. Or there's an avenue you haven't explored yet. Or, or what about that? Or what about this? There's There's questions that I wish the host had asked or explored. That's where you come in. Now, I'm in regular contact with all of the inmates that I chat with. So... While listening to these stories and interviews, if you think I've missed something, maybe there's an avenue I haven't explored, or you think I went a bit too soft in a particular area, or you just have a general question that you want to ask, then tell me what it is and we'll do it. This is your podcast. This is your chance to join me in the conversation. So moving forward, the idea is to release an episode a week. And why do I say the idea is? Well, as I've already explained, when you're dealing with the US prison system, things don't always go to plan. And it's not always a new phone system that's getting in the way. No. There's a thing in prison called count times. It is one of the times where prisoners are not allowed to talk to me, and that can get in the way. Well,
4: i got to go. They're counting. Thank you for using Global Tell
3: Not only that, but I'm talking to inmates who are mainly in the Florida area, known for its tornadoes and bad storms, and when one sweeps through, it can affect the phone system.
4: Thank you for using Global Tell
3: Link. Can you hear me, Kim? If you can hear me, I think the phone's still broken. Thank you for using Global telling. Link. Uh, still not working. And let's not also forget that these are prisons, volatile places where violence can occur, and when violence occurs, it can send entire prisons into lockdown.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a stabbing or something over on the other side of the compound, so they
3: locked
4: the whole compound down.
3: Wow. So so does that happen regularly?
4: Oh yeah, yeah, pretty often. Uh it probably once a week. <laughs> wow.
3: Yeah. So for those reasons, and a whole raft of other reasons, that's why I say I'm going to aim, I'm going to try my best to get out an episode a week. Now, if for some reason it looks like I'm not going to get you a full episode, I'm not going to leave you hanging, I'm not going to leave you high and dry wondering what's going on, I will at least jump on and give you an explanation as to what's been happening over the last week or so. So with all that covered, let's waste no more time, and let's jump straight into episode one of One Minute Remaining. Hello, this
4: is a prepaid call from... Therese
3: Moore, an inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. We're going to start the podcast with the OG, the lady whose story sent me down the rabbit hole. Almost four years ago, I was at work researching stories for a national radio show I was working on at the time, something I did on a daily basis, when a particular story caught my eye. The story was about a recent big win in the lottery here in Australia. Now, within that story... See what I mean about the rabbit hole? Were stories about the lottery curse. This notion that winning big in the lottery can ruin your life. And with that came some case studies. Yes, further down the rabbit hole we go. One of those case studies was about Abraham Lee Shakespeare, a casual laborer from the US who won a $30 million lottery jackpot in Florida, receiving $12 million in 2006. In 2009, his family declared him missing, and in January 2010, his body was found buried under a concrete slab in the backyard of an acquaintance, the backyard of this lady.
4: My name is Therese Moore. Um, I have a life sentence. Um, In America, we have natural life sentences, so when you get 25 years you get no parole here. So I'm in one of the states that doesn't offer parole. It's Florida. And so there's no parole they consider you die in prison.
3: This case was highly publicized in the media all the way from the disappearance of Abraham to the arrest of Doris, all the way through her trial. And to her eventual conviction. All right, tonight, the end of a story we've been covering for months. Dee Dee Moore will spend the
1: rest
4: of her life in prison. State of Florida versus Doris Donigan Moore.
0: Stone faced, unlike past tears or smiles.
4: The defendant is guilty of first degree murder.
0: When a
2: Florida man won a multi million dollar lottery jackpot, he probably didn't realize he may well have been setting off a bizarre chain of events that would end with his murder.
3: Dereese has spent the last 12 years fighting her conviction and has always maintained her innocence. As I stated at the start of this podcast, I'm not here to try and prove her innocent or guilty. And I'm certainly not here to try and convince you of either. But what I am here to do is let her tell her story. Now look, there are layers upon layers to the Dereese and Abraham Shakespeare story. But what you're about to hear over the next few episodes is nothing short of incredible. As a word of warning, within this interview, Doris will make claims of corruption within the police department as well as name individuals and make claims about certain things they've done or said. At this stage, these claims are not substantiated and no wrongdoing has been found against any of the police involved in this case. I've also taken out some names for legal reasons.
4: Even though I was charged with something I didn't do... They feel like, um, and it was all circumstantial evidence that they um, used against me to convict me, they still can give you a life sentence here. Okay. And then it takes forever to work back through the system.
3: You are serving that life sentence um, because of what they claim, a murder of uh, Abraham Shakespeare, who uh, won, won the lottery, $30 million uh, in the U.S., um, a man that you did meet mm-hmm. and you did deal with and you, you had a, uh, a, some form of a relationship with, which we'll get to very soon. I... He was just a friend. Though, like... Just a friend relationship. Okay, okay. great. Um, so right. what I want to talk about before that is your life before you met Abraham. Tell me about you, your life prior to meeting okay. Abraham.
4: Well, I had, um, several companies. One of my companies, I served government contracts.
3: So, um, Teresa, she tells me, was a woman who liked working for herself. He she liked. Governor creating businesses from the ground up. She had a few of them, and she seemed to have a pretty good knack for it as well. And from what she's telling me, she did pretty well. She owned and operated multiple businesses around the medical industry. She had multiple staff working for her. Uh, and it was, in fact, through one of her businesses that she would attend an event that would send her down the path of meeting Florida's newest multimillionaire. When was the first time that you heard about Abraham?
4: With Abraham, I was at a government conference. Um, we had a dinner with Governor Chris at the time. and It was held at the Gaylord Palms. and I had a government contract. I was going to do more government contracts and everything, so I was there meeting all the other different influential people that had government contracts and broadening my business. In the same respect, I met a lady there. Her name was Barbara, and she was a real estate broker. You know, we're talking, and she wants to find out um more about me, and she, we're talking, and I tell her one of my things or one of my goals is to write a second book. I had already wrote a book called Organize Me Now, and I wanted to write a book that was different than anything. And she says, Oh, I've got this perfect person you can write this book on. She says, His name is Abraham Shakespeare. I sold him a house. And so she explained to me about everything with Abraham and um, and what was going on in his life, that he had won $30 He took the lump sum of $12 million, and he basically had nothing left now um, except for a million dollars, and it was frozen. And so it was a fascinating story because this man had run out of money within two years' time. So I was like, how do you do that? In two years' time, you have nothing left. She introduced me and it went from there.
3: So who was Abraham Shakespeare? Well, the son of a citrus picker who made his living working on garbage trucks and washing dishes, as well as picking up odd jobs where he could No stranger to law enforcement himself, he had served some jail time for a series of petty crimes. However, on November 2006, his life would change as he purchased the Florida Lottery's winning ticket. Although, only a few years later, Shakespeare himself would say that he just wished he had his old life back.
2: I really would like my old life back, where I could walk the streets
0: like a normal person, but got people coming up asking for money.
3: When you um first met Abraham, what was the first meeting like?
4: He was interesting. he he was very interesting. He just uh, explained to me, you know what was going on. When I first met him, I felt for him because I had that same problems going on in my life. like when you have money, everybody comes at you. Mm. Um, we proved in my checkbook that it almost like I gave out myself over forty thousand dollars in loans to people, but it's always in loans, but you don't end up getting the money back. You know that you're just giving it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just give it to give because I I can honestly say to this, to anybody, if you give an individual a loan and you are not a bank, it puts your life at risk because they'll end up wanting to kill you for it before they pay you back. And so that's basically what happened to Abraham is he became a bank and it put his life in danger because people would threaten to kill him first, pay him back.
3: Okay. Now I just want to circle back to the moment you're chatting with this real estate broker at this function. She's telling you about Abraham. Now you're saying that she said that Abraham basically had no money left before you even met him. Now, I, I have read that he, when he very first won, he spent, he put a million dollars away for his son, I believe it was, uh, into a trust fund, also bought okay. a, a property for himself, which is a million dollars, and then I think uh, he just started giving people money, who anyone who asked for it, I suppose.
4: Well, they, that's the story the media tells, Yeah. <laughs> now I'll tell you the real story. Sure. I have all the real story on tape because... I don't know if it was God or who was looking out for me, but for some reason, in my heart, I told, you know, myself, I said, you know, I want to record everything. That Mm -hmm. way, nobody can sue me for misrepresenting them. No one can sue me for a misquote. I wanted to record everything. Mm -hmm. So every time I did an interview or anything, I recorded it. I have the real story on tape (laughs) of what really happened.
3: Okay, this is where I want to jump in here quickly. Now, throughout this interview, on many occasions, Doris is going to refer back to these recordings. Now, these are recordings that she said that she made all throughout these events. Now, I must say, Doris has told me she's sending these to me to look at. At this stage, they've not arrived. However, should they arrive, then I'm going to bring them to you immediately. Okay, let's get back to the interview. When he was
4: accused of stealing the ticket he gave out large sums of money to be paid back in cash under the table so he would loan he loaned this one man a million dollars but this man was paying him back five thousand dollars in cash under the table that way if he lost the lawsuit he would still have money coming in
3: i see
4: he was afraid he was going to lose the lawsuit and so he had won all this money but the guy that he worked with said that he stole the ticket from him
3: okay me again. Now, I want to jump in here because this story regarding Abraham being sued is very well documented. In fact, it seems Abraham's big win turned out to be nothing but a nightmare from the very beginning. But this story is very important because the police say that Doris's motives were obviously around money. She wanted to take Abraham's money. Doris says Abraham had no money and it all stemmed from this story. Now, The Florida Lotto winning ticket worth $30 million was sold at a town star convenience store in Frostproof, Florida on November the 15th, 2006. Now, on that day, Abraham and a co-worker of his, Michael Ford, were headed toward Miami. Now, they stopped briefly at this convenience store in Frostproof to buy drinks and cigarettes. Ford gets out of the truck and he says to Shakespeare, do you want a drink? Shakespeare doesn't. He says instead, can you buy me two lottery tickets? So Shakespeare says he paid Ford $2 for the tickets out of the $5 he had on him that day. Of course, one of those tickets was worth $30 million. When Michael Ford finds out that Shakespeare's won all this money, he then returns to Shakespeare, demanding a share of the jackpot of no less than a $1 million, which Shakespeare refuses to pay him. Now, that prompts Ford to sue Shakespeare, accusing him of stealing the two tickets from his wallet. And that's where we'll let Doris pick up the story.
4: So they went to court... Abraham won eventually. He had paid $800,000 to a lawyer that flew in to represent him. He ends up winning. The guy appealed the case, and the lawyer that was representing his appeal put a hold against him, too, because he didn't finish paying him. At that time, Abraham had run out of money. He only had the million in the CD account, and he had a house payment. Um, They had took a loan on his house because he wanted to build his credit up. So he actually had a house payment of 6000 something dollars which I have proof I ended up paying for him. So I have a tape recording of me and Abraham. We're in a vehicle, and he is talking to the people at the bank on the phone, and they're discussing um, how I believe this is going to be on, like, Fox News. Like, I cannot believe this. I, I I'm thinking this is going to be a movie because it's crazy how many people are involved mm. and how much— stuff is going on. So yes, it interested me. I should have stepped out not knowing how convoluted it was and how dangerous it was, but it had just intrigued me that all this stuff was going on and I didn't know how deep it went. And then before I knew it, It was just too much.
3: Okay, now reports say shortly after knowing Abraham for a little while and realising that, uh, well, his money was dwindling very quickly, that you decided to take control of his funds. Now, is that true? Did you take control of Abraham's money?
4: Well, you can say that in a way and you can't... They say can take control, but that's not how it went. He didn't have money to pay his finances. So if you listen to the tape, I'm paying his finances, I'm paying his bills. I pay his house payment, I pay his electric payment, I pay everything because he doesn't have money. He's, his money's froze. He's only getting the cash that people will give him, pay back for the loans, but that's just money to run on.
3: Okay, but the question I know people are going to be thinking while listening to this is, why is she paying this man's bills, a man that she barely knows? Uh, why is she going out and paying his electricity bills, paying his home loan, paying his uh, everything for him, basically?
4: Because the way I look at it, I'm making a book off of him and this is going to be huge yeah. and, a, and possibly a movie because it's so unbelievable what this man was going through and so i'm not worried about that i'm you know I, he has to get this stuff paid you know somebody's got to pay it so if you can say finances but at the time i couldn't say anything like i said they stopped me from saying anything that really happened that was my money and I couldn't say much because they were threatening to kill my you know, son, of course.
3: There's reports around the purchase of two new cars a ho- and a holiday um, that, um, that you purchased, apparently um, due to a million dollars that you gave yourself from Abraham's money. What, what's your response to that?
4: The report of the holiday happened before I even knew Abraham. Right. They talk about a Las Vegas trip. I took this Las Vegas trip about six months before I even knew the man, this was, I think, in July of that year, and I didn't even know him till October or November. I'll have to look on there when I actually met him. But it was October or November of that year. But I took that Las Vegas trip in July. They made it out to this media that had these lush vacations. They happened all before Abraham. Because of how lavish this was is why it was made out to be a big deal but it was the pyramid and I stayed in the room at the top of the pyramid and that's only because my boyfriend at the time had always, that was one of his bucket lists so I wanted to make it come true
3: Okay, let's do a very quick recap here So Doris meets Abraham, she discovers that Abraham is loaning out money because of an impending lawsuit Now of course he's concerned that should he lose the lawsuit then his former co-worker is going to take his winnings So he decides to take it out and loan it to drug dealers who are able to pay back large sums of cash so that his money is, well, safe. Now, what's the saying? There's no honour amongst thieves, or in this case, drug dealers. So obviously, these drug dealers are not keen on giving that money back, funnily enough, and have started threatening Abraham's life if he tries to come after it. Here's Dereese talking more about that.
4: You can hear in his conversations with me this is happening to him. He's um, being threatened. They're threatening to get him arrested if he comes after it or more, um, possible death. So he even says in the recordings of that, um, and I'll – I can – I'll get those recordings for you so that you can see that DVD exists and it's not something that I made up here. The reason why I couldn't bring this forth to life before is they were threatening my son's life and these people thought I was kidding that these people really existed. So, So so, sorry, I'll just just stop you there. So when
3: you say these people were threatening your son's life, who who are these people that were threatening your son's life?
4: The one guy called his name Ronald. I'm sure that's not his real name.
3: Okay, so this name, Ronald, is another one that's been brought up a lot. And it's a name that detectives say is a complete fabrication, a fictional character that's been made up by Doris. In fact, she's been mentioning this name, Ronald, in interrogations with detectives from the very start, like here. I'm
4: not telling them everything because I'm really scared. They don't believe me. I ask if they can give me protection and I tell them. After last night, I didn't care. Okay. Once I found out that he really...
2: I didn't care. I'd rather be dead myself. I don't care. I want him
4: in jail.
3: Alright. Time out. Time out. This man that you're supposedly scared of, who are we referring to?
4: A guy's name's Ronald. Ronald exists. He even threatened. He, I, I, James Shakespeare, I talked to him. He threatened him because James called me because he got a threat from Ronald too. He threatened him so bad that he went to the sheriff's department and filed a false report to say the man was still alive. I don't care if you're fit. my sister. My sister somebody killed her, I would not go file a false report and say i talked to her if I didn't. That is my sister. I'd rather be dead myself.
3: So you're going to hear Ronald's name pop up a few times. Again, I've got to say that as far as I'm aware, Ronald has never been found or spoken to by police.
4: He was normal at first. I thought he was just one of Abraham's friends. Like His whole attitude was normal and Nothing, you know, stuck out like that until the police started coming around. And once the police started coming around, that's when I started getting threatened. They're threatening that they're going to hurt my son if I do tell the police anything that the things that I do know. But I don't really know their names. So I have a recording on one recording that verifies I really don't know their names. Well, the cops believe that I did. I'm sitting there and trying to get their name out of this person that I'm on the phone with. I ask them why, you know, why are they doing this? And it's because they don't want him coming back after there was a guy that owed him money for a house and a truck that Abraham bought him. And Abraham was trying to get him to start making payments because Abraham was out of money. And he really was. Hmm. He only had the million left. He wanted some of his payments back that he gave out. And these people were threatening them. To me, that's not worth it. You know, it's better to walk away. The whole reason they were able to convict me is they gave the allusion to the prosecutor. The reason why I did all this was I ran Abraham out of town because I wanted him out of town. And that um, I made child support a big deal. If you listen to the videotapes you can see that I'm asking him why he has to leave. And he says because he's afraid they're going to kill him. He says, I'm afraid they're going to come after, or she's going to come after me. I'm afraid she's going to have me killed or set up or my house robbed.
3: From the sounds of, from what you're saying, that Abraham was in fear of Multiple, different people, lots of different people, um, you know, ex-partners, um, these drug dealers, uh, people that he loaned money to. It seems like, you know, he was terrified of of a lot of people. Right.
4: The one girl that I'm talking to, her name is Satoria. It's a girl that he dated, and she's actually part of my court case. She gets on the stand. She is his ex-girlfriend, and she had a baby by him, and problem I have with Centaurio in this whole scenario is she actually lies on the stand. So if you didn't have anything to do with this death, okay? Just tell the truth of what really happened. You don't you don't have to sit there and lie if you didn't have any part of doing it. Just tell what you do know what happened. Instead she gets up on the stand and lies about everything. And I have the
3: teach the proof. She lied. Okay, so this is another name that will come up a fair bit while I'm talking with Dore. Centuria is an ex-partner of Abraham Shakespeare's. Now, Derice does make certain claims about Centuria that have not been substantiated. So, I will be removing some of those claims out of this interview for legal reasons. But Centuria did take the stand during Derice's trial. Now, when Therese mentions that she has proof that Centuria lied, this was actually brought up during the court case and a video was played to the courtroom showing contradictions to what she was saying. Uh, this was actually covered by ABC Action News. Have a listen. We're not
1: going to go back and forth. You need to compose yourself and I'm about to give you time to do that and to speak to your lawyer. Part of the reason for Moore's frustration is the testimony from Shakespeare's ex-girlfriend, Centura Butler.
4: Because she wanted to know about all of his assets and she was like, I can help you clean him out.
1: Moore was so adamant that Butler was lying, she pushed her attorneys to play a video she took of Butler that she says proves she's being dishonest. While there are contradictions, Butler testified that's because Moore told her what to say. Did you lie about that on the video?
3: Yes, your client used a lot of coercion to make up a big, fat fib. Now, again, I have to stress, no wrongdoing has ever been found uh, against Centuria at all. So any claims that Doris makes about Centuria have not been backed up by police. So anyway, this is what... You
4: have one minute remaining. We only have one
3: minute. Ah, yes. This is the fun part about interviewing inmates. Uh, We get a certain amount of time, then my friend here jumps in and tells me it's time to call it quits. So we'll do that for this episode, but, uh, well, get ready for episode two because things get even crazier when money is buried. But not just 5 or $10, No.
4: We buried the rest of his remaining money. Once he cashed it out, he moved the million dollars over. I got it cashed out for him. He buried it on one of my properties.
3: But you buried a million so dollars in cash was, out the back of one of your properties.
4: Uh, well, over that. Over that, yeah. Next time on One Minute Remaining.
3: One Minute Remaining is a mash Pumpkin production. Hosted by Jack Lawrence... Research by Jack Lawrence. Oh, who am I kidding? Everything done by Jack Lawrence. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.